Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live, along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believes that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. That's why we seek out people from different professions, all who are involved with movement. Tonight's guest is a podiatrist. He has a career as a runner, and I want to give a big thank you to Sam Wood, a physical therapist and ultra runner out in Colorado Springs, who made the suggestion to me that I contact tonight's guest, Dr. Ray McClanahan of Northwest Foot and Ankle in Portland, Oregon. If you like what you're hearing on Moving to Live, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts. If you have an idea for a good guest for us, drop us a message. And we'd love to check out new and interesting people who believe that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. Today, we've got part one of our interview with Dr. McClanahan. We find out his story and how he became not only a podiatrist, but a natural podiatrist. I hope you enjoy tonight's interview. Welcome back to Moving to Live. Tonight, we're here with part one of a podcast. This is a podcast I've been running down for three or four months. I want to thank Sam Wood out in Colorado Springs, one of my earlier guests, for suggesting Dr. Ray McClanahan, who is a podiatrist out in the Northwest. Dr. McClanahan, thanks for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Thanks for having me on your show, Ben. It's a pleasure. First question I always ask uh, people that we interview for Moving to Live, you meet somebody, whether it's at a, with your wife or you're out someplace and you're wearing uh, a t-shirt or a hat or something that says Northwest Foot and Ankle, where you work, actually where you're, you're the owner, what do you tell them you do? What's your definition of this is what Dr. McClanahan does? Yeah, I, I would consider myself a, a a sports podiatrist. So most of the people I see are people that have problems related to the activities that they love, whether it be running or biking or hiking. Um, and furthermore, I would say that in addition to having a sports medicine focus, I also have a, a natural foot health focus, which um, 
which I think for your audience members would be, would be important to know that to have a natural podiatric approach isn't necessarily something that's taught in podiatry school. It's something that I actually learned post-podiatry school. So I'm a, I'm a natural podiatrist that sees athletes. I think that's a great definition. And in part two of our interview in two weeks, we're really going to dive into that because I think that's fascinating to me. And I think that's probably why Sam Wood suggested that I contact you. If we go all the way back to the beginning, were you an active kid growing up? And if you were, was it because mom and dad said, get the heck out of the house and don't come back until supper time? Or was the whole family active and it was just a natural thing as recreation for a family? You did some sort of movement. Uh, the whole family has been active ever since I can remember. Um, I grew up in small towns and it was always playing outside, uh, fishing, you know, capture the flag, neighborhood football. So I was always an active kid, always a very uh, high energy kid. In fact, I couldn't hardly sit still in school, Ben. I constantly got in trouble in school and got spanked all the time. And I I don't know what the definition might be, if, if, if there is one, maybe attention deficit or something along those lines. But no, I've been very active. I've always loved sports. Um, and it, it's ironic because growing up, um, I was raised in a very strict religious family where in, on Sundays, we weren't allowed to go outside and play. We were, you know, observing the day of rest and my brother and I would get stir crazy and want to go throw the football. And um, So we, we've always been active. I've always loved everything that I could possibly do. Um, although I would say running has probably become my favorite activity um, since I was a little kid. And I know I've got the advantage of having looked at your bio and the questionnaire you filled out. So I want to talk a little bit more about your running. But did you do other sp organized sports growing up before you made the decision, hey, running's the one I'm going to concentrate on? I did. I Oh, geez, you name it, Ben. Basketball, football, badminton, soccer, softball, uh, skating, uh, swimming, whatever. If it was a sport and I had time, I was doing it. Um, I really loved hockey. I grew up in Alberta, Canada, so we played a lot of hockey, and that was a lot of fun. And actually, I kind of came upon running um, sort of out of frustration. I, I went to a private boarding school, and things were very stringent and uh, very controlled, and I didn't, I didn't like that environment very much, so I got into a habit of running a six-mile loop out in the country. This is up in Alberta, just to kind of get away from it all. And uh, somehow during that time, I... I started really enjoying it. I felt my stress was better. And then I started challenging myself to get faster on each of my six mile loops. But I think really the, the shift for me, Ben, in terms of truly falling in love with running above other activities would be the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, I saw that in high school and that movie had such a profound effect on me um, that I decided, <clears throat> I decided my life dream was gonna be to try to make the Olympics in running. And so that's really kind of a little bit of my backstory about um, movement in my life. And am I correct? You ran through high school and you also ran at college at Liberty University? I did. Yeah. I'm always curious, at, at what point in high school did you realize, hey, maybe I can continue running after, after high school. Maybe I can get a little bit of money to run at college. Uh, probably my senior year that happened. Uh, I, w I was up in Alberta, as I mentioned, and so I, I qualified for the equivalent of what would be the state championship here in the States, known as the provincial championships. And although I didn't run super fast, they also had the junior uh, Olympic championships on the same weekend. And my coach said, this would be a good opportunity for you to, you know, see what you can do in the future. So it was in high school when I started uh, 
really getting the bug to see if I could develop myself. But a, an unusual thing happened. As soon as I got done with high school, I went back to my hometown and I sold automobiles for Ford Motor Company for a year. And uh, my best high school friend went out to Liberty to study mathematics. And I don't know why the world works out the way it does sometimes, Ben, but it just so happened that the head math professor was also the head track and field and cross country coach. And my buddy kept saying, dude, you've got to come out here. This is great. Um, great college, making lots of friends, lots of fun activity, pretty girls. Um, I said, well, check and see if they have a running program because I really want to see if I can become a good runner. So I ended up getting a call from coach and I talked to him for quite a while, got a small scholarship, headed out to Lynchburg, Virginia. I hadn't even visited the place, Ben. I just knew my best friend was there and knew they were going to give me some money. So I actually spent five years in Liberty, uh, finished my physical education degree, and then I moved on towards my pre-med degree. But that's really where I started um, really dedicating myself to developing myself as a runner. I think there must be something about uh, runners who are quite good who just take off and go to the school. I had the opportunity to interview uh, Daniel Caulfield, who's an Irishman, who is the track and cross-country coach at California University of Pennsylvania. His parents had emigrated to the U.S., New York City, and he basically went out to Adams State College, never having visited it, not having run all summer, and went on the team and ended up winning a national championship that that year in the NAIA. And like you, he just took off and went saying, well, I'll take a, I'll take a flyer on this. Wow. Well, that's even crazier because that's at altitude. <laughs> yes. He, uh, he, he, he described himself as, uh, I'm probably paraphrasing, but arrogantly stupid to think he could do it, um, but went out there and survived and flourished. And I think probably there's something about runners because if you're going to run and you're going to run distances, you're going to be used to being uncomfortable. So taking a flyer, I would imagine, and going a couple thousand miles to visit a school is kind of like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Exactly. <laughs> and I know having been in Lynchburg, if you're a runner, there's some beautiful terrain around there. And if I seem to remember correctly, there was a physical education professor there who for a while held the uh, world record for the speed, speed hike or run of the Appalachian Trail. David Horton. Yeah, he was my PE teacher and my physiology professor. And yeah, um, I think he did it in something like 46 or 47 days. Um, and they've, they've done a documentary film on him now. I don't know if it's been released yet or not. But yeah, he, he had a, a strong influence on my life too. He, he would go out and just do five and six hour runs just for the heck of it back then, you know. And so, yeah, he's, he's definitely a hero and a mentor of mine as well. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that you decided you wanted to try to make the Olympic team in running. And if you go to Liberty, I know that's a division one school and having to gone to grad school in old dominion, I know that they had a fairly competitive team. What, what happened at Liberty? Did you run as well as you wanted to? Did you have the opportunity to continue running at a very, very high level after college? I didn't run as well as I'd like to at Liberty, and I did continue post-collegiate running. And part of why I'm passionate about the work I do now, Ben, is I think why I didn't achieve my um, my desired goals at Liberty was I was chronically injured. You know, I was always in the training room. I always had some kind of tendonitis or stress fracture. Or, In fact, I've got a couple stories to share about some of those early college experiences if we have the time. But at Liberty, I ended up running um, – I ran 150 for the half mile. I ran 353 or so for the 1500. 
Um, so nothing blazing fast. I had the school record in the 5,000 for a little while, but this is way back when Liberty was division two. And then my senior year, they went division one and we've had some really good people since then, Samson, Chalanga, the McDougal brothers and so forth. But I didn't run impressively fast in college. Um, and so after college, I moved out here to Portland to do a surgical residency and uh, I got a coach and I made a three-year plan to try to try to qualify for the Olympic trials in the 5,000 meters. And uh, I didn't achieve it, but I did improve upon my college bests and I had a great time doing it. Got to travel a lot and go to some great meets and make some great friends and and just got to see, you know, what I could do. And uh, I'm really glad I gave it my best shot, but I missed the trials by seven seconds in uh, 2000, 2000, let's see, yeah, 2000, I guess it was. Yeah. Looking back at 18 or 19-year-old Ray McClanahan, if you could offer him one or two pieces of training advice, knowing what you know now, both with your experience as a runner and more importantly, with your education as a podiatrist, what are those one or two pieces of information you give him? Uh, wear shoes that are shaped like your natural foot and shoes that are your size. Uh, I was wearing a size nine back then. Um, I now wear a size 12. I realize now I... I I actively deformed my own feet without knowing it. Um, I would also tell myself to slow down. Um, I, I find I trained way too intensely and that might've also had something to do with why I was injured. And now the way I train my athletes and the way I train my own body is entirely differently. I'm not a no pain, no gain guy anymore. Um, and by the way, Ben, the lights just went off because we got motion detector lights in here. So that's why it went dark. Um, so I would tell myself to slow down. I would tell myself to take care of my feet by wearing natural shoes um, and not eat so many carbohydrates. <laughs> I was carbo-loading because I thought that's what I was supposed to do, and now I eat entirely differently and, and run much better because of it. I think you're a little bit younger than me, but I suspect those are the same things that uh, most runners from, say, the 19... 80s all the way up to probably even five or six years ago and probably still the same at, all, at many schools would say, boy, I wish I could follow that advice. Indeed, I agree. And, and in part two of this interview, I really want to get into that more because I think the, uh, the comments on shoes, it's, uh, it's so frustrating to go into a running store and have an 18-year-old kid who's being paid minimum wage try to tell me what kind of shoes I wear. Based on information he got from the shoe company. Exactly. The shoe company rep. <laughs> so you run in college, you continue to run. You obviously are a world-class runner if you miss out on the Olympics by seven seconds. That's literally a good day or a bad day or, or the right conditions. Well, I should probably make a correction, Ben, although I'd like that to be true. I missed the Olympic trials, not the Olympics. Well, that's that still puts you up at a pretty high level. Well, thank you. Um, much more difficult to actually make the top three. Uh, at one point, I was top 50 in the country with a 13.56 for 5K. What made you, with all that, and obviously you, you went to podiatry school and, and then did the residency and still continued to train, what was it that made you decide on podiatry? Because I know you mentioned you were a physical education major. I actually was a physical education major also. And I know when you go to these liberal arts schools, if you play your cards right and take the right core classes, you basically can come out and go to grad school for almost anything because your electives 
fulfill the prerequisites for a great many graduate schools. Right. Uh, several catalysts. One big one for me was when I graduated Liberty, I, I had redshirted my sophomore year because of an injury that I'll hope, hope we can talk about at some point in the podcast. Um, so I had an additional year and coach said he'd keep me on scholarship if I wanted to study something else. So I studied some pre-med and got some of those prereqs done. But I went back to my hometown and I decided to teach in my home school for a year, health, physical education. Uh, I coached the track and field team. And the my assistant coach was about 56 years old. He had been in the school system his whole life. He'd been a superintendent, a principal, a teacher, a coach, an advisor. And one day he said to me, Ray, are you enjoying what you're doing? Is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And I said, I really like this. I love the kids. I love movement. I love sports. I love seeing them develop. Yeah, I really like this. Um, he said, Ray, is there anything else that you'd like to do? And I said, well, I've always had a dream to become a sports medicine doctor. But at that point in my, in my thinking, I believed that I had to have a 4.0. I believed that I had to have a perfect MCAT test and a letter from a congressman. And I honestly didn't think I'd be able to qualify. So I kind of put that on the back burner as a dream. But the more I got to talking to this guy I was working with, the more he was planting these seeds. And he did admit to me that at this point in his life, he wished he would have gone to law school. And he didn't. And so he was living with that um, unfulfilled dream. And so he urged me that if I had any unfulfilled dreams, to at least pursue it. So I, I had dinner with my mom and dad that night and I chatted with them a little bit and they encouraged me. So I went back to the University of Washington, finished my pre-med, took my MCAT and uh, started applying to schools. And during that time, I became friends with a podiatrist who was a good local runner. And uh, I got to spend some time with him in his practice, seeing what he did. And so I started looking into podiatry and uh, it kind of seemed like a perfect match for me, given that most of my college uh, injuries were foot injuries and uh, I still had a deep curiosity about feet. So that's kind of where I started pursuing podiatry as a career goal. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with this, because we do have some professionals and some people who are just interested in movement, uh, podiatry school is four years. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. So you go to four-year undergrad, four-year school, and these days the recommended residency is three years. So it's 11 years track. And then there are, if I'm correct, also board exams you have to take to get certified? Yes, sir. Yeah. And those are based on having a number of surgical cases that you've already participated in and answering all the right questions. So for listeners who are wondering, uh, podiatrists are real doctors. They're not somebody who just works with feet and took, took a, a couple of classes. And I think that's important to emphasize because so many people don't understand when they're looking for a professional what the actual initials mean. If they see just see uh, Dr. McClanahan, DPM, they're going to wonder, what is that? You're absolutely right. We do spend quite a bit of time explaining to people that podiatry school is very much like medical school in terms of the first two years of the same core curriculum. Uh, the significant difference being when you go to podiatry school, you know you're going to be a foot specialist at the end of it. It's unlike allopathic medicine or osteopathic medicine where you you do your basic sciences and then you decide, do you want to be an orthopedist? Do you want to be a radiologist, gynecologist, et cetera? So it's like dentistry in, the, in terms of the track is predefined. You know what you're going to do. Um, but the sciences is rigorous for sure. Um, but that's the subtle difference there. And out of curiosity and for my educational purposes, are there different specialties in uh, podiatric medicine? There 
know, you would think that since it's a specialty in and of itself, that would be sufficient. But there are people that purely specialize in diabetic footwork, uh, trying to salvage people's feet or keep them from having amputations. There's guys like me that just treat athletes. There's people that um, just treat people with disabilities or, you know, people with balance issues. So, yeah, there's multiple subspecialties within the specialty. And I'm curious, so you mentioned you deal with athletes. Do you screen your patients before they come in and uh, make sure you, uh, I guess, let me re rephrase that. Do you screen your patients before you accept them as patients? And then also, do you, uh, def what is your definition of an athlete? Since I know everybody has a different definition for what that is. Yeah, we do screen patients. The primary uh, screening that we do, Ben, is asking them whether or not they are willing to change their footwear. And if they're willing to see their footwear as health equipment as opposed to fashion statement or fashion pieces. And we've learned the hard way that we have to do this because for years I would just have the doors open to everybody and um, people would come in. I would start my conversation that we'll get into on natural foot health. And invariably a high percentage of these patients, typically second or third decade females would say, there's no way I'll wear a shoe like that, you know. Um, so obviously, if we're doing natural podiatry and they're not willing to put their foot into something that's shaped like their natural foot, they're going to need medicine and they're going to need injections and orthotics and surgery. So we definitely screen them. Um, and my definition of an athlete is, is somebody that participates in a movement activity that they enjoy. Um, I think... I borrow from Dr. George Sheehan and my friend, Dr. Mark Kukazella, who I told you about, both of whom uh, Dr. Sheehan has passed away, but one of his basic principles was we are all athletes. And Dr. Kukazella stresses that too. Um, so if a person's engaged in something they love, um, like hiking, walking, running, riding their bike, I, I wanna see them and I wanna help them if they're willing to make the change. Um, if they're not willing to make the change, we encourage them to see a conventional podiatrist because that's what conventional podiatry is. It's, it's largely ignoring the fact that most of the shoes our patients wear change our foot structure over time, but then treating the deformities that occur from that as opposed to doing what we do here, which is address the cause. You know, And if we can address the cause, it's so fascinating to see how much better people can get without medical treatment. We, I basically talk to people all day, Ben. I do very little. I, yeah, I write a few prescriptions and I occasionally give an injection, sometimes do a small surgery here and there. But for the most part, I literally try to get people excited about seeing what their own body can do when it's lined up naturally. And they've not felt this before, so they're intrigued. And if they're a compulsive person like me and they just want to get back out there in their movement, then um, those kinds of people are willing to take natural steps to better themselves. I really want to focus in on that in two weeks for the final part of our part one interview. I want to talk a little bit more about your own personal running career because I'm always fascinated with people who compete at a very high level when at some point it's over. So you mentioned you missed making the Olympic trials by seven seconds. When that happened, did you continue to train and run or was it one of those things where it's just like, okay, I'm done running. I'm never going to run, a, run again. And it kind of, there was a period of time where you just didn't engage in, in movement activities. No, there's never, ever been a time that I've not engaged unless I broke a bone. And even then I got in a pool and thrashed about to try to um, 
expend energy, I think, more than anything. I have a very active mind, Ben, and if I don't move, um, I don't feel very good about myself. So I, I, I didn't encounter a time when I decided to throw it all in or pack it all in. Um, in fact, I still feel like I'm learning things about running and I'm learning things about my body. Um, and believe it or not, this might sound a little unusual, but I still have the dream, you know? I know it's not going to happen. It's not going to occur. But sometimes when I'm out training, I still, I still pretend, you know, I still have those desires. And so, um, no, the dream is still there, even though my body is telling me it's, uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I know I had one of my clients say to me once he's in his early sixties, he goes, you know, this aging shit is true. It really does take longer to recover when you get older. It's true. Yes, it is. But I can also uh, appreciate the dreams. I've got a friend of mine who's uh, 65, retired, and I just got an email from him. He's debating whether or not he wants to enter another Ironman next year because he always had it in his mind that he wanted to finish five. And he's finished four of them. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm feeling good now. And I'm in pretty good shape. It's like, I think I want to do it. And I want to finish that fifth one. So even if you're no longer realistically can make the Olympics, there are still goals, whether it's that or being the oldest person to run a three hour marathon. For sure. And a lot of people get, you know, just as competitive about age group awards and, and uh, community awards as they, you know, they do about national national awards. So absolutely is, I think as long as we can keep a carrot out there dangled for us, that keeps us chasing what we love. I think it'll keep us young and healthy. We've been talking to Dr. Ray McClanahan. He is a natural podiatrist out in the Northwest. We've talked about his career and how he decided to become a podiatrist. We're going to come back in two weeks and really focus in on what actually natural podiatry is, how he got into it, and talk, I think, quite a bit about footwear and the problems that runners cause if they wear footwear that maybe they don't know that they shouldn't be wearing, but shouldn't be wearing. Dr. McClanahan, I want to thank you for talking to Moving to Live for part one of our interview. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.